everyone, this is Viv, and you're listening to the What Gives Podcast. Hey listeners, I am joined today by Angela and Consuela from People Matter. People Matter is an organization whose mission is to uplift, unearth, and untether people from all communities. And they do this through direct service, political education, and advocacy. And I actually met Angela at a podcast listening party, if you can believe that. And at that time, I think it was two years ago, I had absolutely no interest in podcasting. So we have made a full circle and I am so happy to bring you both on our podcast. Thank you, y'all. Thank you for having us. Can y'all walk me through what is happening in the community right now pertaining to Asian American hate crimes? Yeah, definitely. So I want to do um, a bit of framing And it may sound conceptual, but just follow me. Two framings. One is around the term anti-Asian, so who it includes and who it doesn't include. And another framing that I want to do is making a distinction between crimes that are fueled by hate and also crimes that are from proximity of impoverished or low-income communities and because of historic disinvestment. So... First of all, for people who don't know, there have been um, a surge in violent attacks against Southeast and East Asian, mainly seniors, across the U.S., in in New York, in different parts of California. And it's, it's just been really tragic. And, you know, we want to hold space for the people who have been hurt and sometimes who have died from these instances, especially as it's Lunar New Year, which is supposed to be a time of celebration and family. And so that's been um, really heavy. And at the same time, I do want to differentiate that a lot of media outlets have been saying that this is anti-Asian sentiment or anti-Asian American sentiment. And I want to clarify that it is anti-East Asian and anti-Southeast Asian sentiment. And often it is anti-Chinese sentiment that is hitting non-Chinese East Asians and Southeast Asians. And so I want to mention that just because I think that by differentiating between the different Asian groups that are impacted by different issues, we can address their needs more adequately as well as not erase different Asian groups. For example, we don't want to erase South Asian groups who are also included in Asian American, but who people do not think of South Asians at all when they think of quote-unquote anti-Asian crimes or sentiment. Is just like understanding who is being attacked and who isn't um, and being able to understand like how we can support all groups of people. And then another thing I want to say is that in some instances, it has been, you know, a black person who has attacked the Asian person. Um, in the case of this Thai man who actually died, it was like a, a black a young black person. And so different communities have been, um, you know, proactive about saying that we are for black and Asian unity, that we will not let um, people divide us over this. And I think that's definitely really important because there is a distinction between, for example, that white man who was, you know, an affluent tech startup founder who was saying, like, go back to China and spitting on a family in a restaurant last year. So that was definitely motivated by anti-Chinese, by um, xenophobic, just hate. So there's that instance happening. And then there's the instance in black communities, people who have been historically disinvested in, and people are just really, really desperate and in poverty and cannot take it anymore. And they have to resort to crime for them and their families to survive. And they go to the communities that are nearest to them. And oftentimes it's other low-income and impoverished communities of color that are nearer to them because of the historic segregation that put white, you know, richer white 
neighborhoods at a very far distance so that the, you know, people of color can't get to them, essentially. And so they will resort to crime in the nearby communities, not definitely not justifying it. But I also want to say that we have to make a distinction between crimes out of hate and crimes out of poverty. There is that added factor of disinvestment and crimes of proximity. Thank you so much for clarifying because I am one of those people who just don't always acknowledge the difference between South Asian and even that these hate crimes are are targeting East Asians and namely Chinese citizens in America. So thank you so much for making that distinction. I have never heard about proximity crime either. So I think it is really important that you've made that distinction. It actually made me think of when people started talking about Black Lives Matter, how there was all these other conversations about Black on Black crime and how, why is it white on Black crime worse? And it it makes me think about that because those crimes in those disinvested communities, Black communities, they must be crimes of proximity as well, right? Can we talk about the reasons why there is a surge in crimes right now in these recent events and just the history that led up to this? Also, I want to say proximity of crime is definitely something I heard from Consuela, so I just want to do some credit. Yeah, I think that in recent, you know, in the past year, the global pandemic and the sort of widespread propaganda that is saying it is from China. Well, of course, like, you know, there is truth to it, but people just saying that China is the reason why, you know, discounting the many Europeans who are flying and spreading the virus and like people don't necessarily talk about that. So I think a lot of what's happening with these hate crimes is due to the 45th president and his sort of propaganda about (laughs) anti-Chinese sentiment. I think that you can also say that, you know, I mean, I think that the xenophobic violence against foreigners has existed for a long time. And I think Consuelo will probably touch on it later because she teaches about it. But it is really xenophobia follows anti-blackness and they are both the foundation of the U.S. And in Chinatown, their um, last February, just when um, COVID-19 was starting to ramp up, there was actually a shooting of two Chinese immigrants by a young black person in the community. And it led to, you know, so much grief and mourning, um, as well as really, really heightened anti-blackness um, to the point where black residents and black um, employees had to be escorted home by Chinese co-workers and by buses so that they wouldn't be harmed. And so it's very dangerous for black people to be walking around alone. And that is something that's very real as well. I'm sorry, that sort of like, that was a long, um, I hope that answered your question. No, it it did. And I did want to talk about anti-blackness in the Asian community specifically. So thank you for touching on that. Consuela, I know you teach anti-blackness workshops in Chicago. Can you help me understand the history of race, race as a concept, and how it's all impacting us? Yeah. Definitely. So we have like different groups of people in general. Historically, we have ethnic enclaves that were considered racist. But as of the modern day, we have like five groups of people, which were basically 
named as how white people saw groups of people, right? We have red people, which is in South America. We have black people, which is in the continental Africa. And then we have black and brown people, which is in South Asia mostly, where they had named people who are darker skinned and they couldn't yet identify them as black or brown. And then we have yellow folks who lived in like East Asia and Southeast Asia. And then we have white folks, right? So we have like five different racial groups of people. And then the problem arises, like, in the modern day, as race has been evolving, we have, we see yellow is disappearing and that no one really identifies as yellow. We see red is disappearing. No one really identifies as red. And so now we have three races that stand strong right now, which is white, brown, and black, which causes the erasure of specifically the issues that the yellow community may go through or yellow Asians may go through. And then also it causes issues where a lot of people who may be like indigenous to Americas or red uh, Native Americans may go through as well. And and the reason why I basically going over this with the names like red, yellow, etc., because I do think in the effort to reclaim identity, we instead have aided in the erasure of POC history. It's like a tangled necklace. And we, instead of, we try to add new gems to it and try to call it something new when it comes to race. And and we call it like a new necklace, but instead it's still tangled and it's still it's not a new necklace, right? And then still using that analogy in order to understand and get to the root of it, we have to really understand the names and the labels that was used to divide us in order to untangle the catalyst of racism. Then we can determine whether or not it's worth keeping the necklace, which is like society as a whole or not, right? And I mean like society as a whole, not as like society in general, like as we may see, but society as when it comes to racial identifiers, right? As like brown, black, yellow, etc., right? And only by unpacking racial identities will be able to have conversations about race and get people the needs that they want, right? Is a consistently within the Asian American communities. It specifically is a lot of erasure of black and brown Asians. Um, and then also a lot of yellow Asians are maybe seen more at the forefront, but still don't have their needs met as well because it's like the model minority myth particularly attaches itself to yellow Asians, right? Which is something that brown Asians and black Asians may not have experienced. And so... The problem when we talk about breaking down races, we have to really understand it and maybe even return back to those labels in order to unpack it before we move on to new labels. Like when we have um, just the historically of like black Asians, since that's like a new concept. And also we have white Asians, which is like Russia, right? Like because Asian is just a geographical marker, right? And so when you start breaking it down and when I mean question everything that people told you, right? And like you start figuring out like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Um, so when we talk about black Asians, this black Asians who lived in Asia for like a thousand years who have communities in Asia for like a thousand years and yet they're not considered Asian. Like that doesn't make sense. Like how long do you have to live in this space to be considered a part of it? Right. And they have made tremendous impacts throughout Asia. But then we have people not identifying them correctly in these spaces. So we have erasure of black folks in Asian American identity. We have erasure of brown folks in the Asian American identity. We have erasure of darker skinned Asians who may be in the between of yellow and brown Asians, right? But what we have is uplifted more of a the crazy rich Asians type stereotype where, which is getting pushed around, which is a lighter skinned, wealthier Asian person, which is not all Asians, right? And that makes it hard to really unpack race and also to even talk about anti-Asian sentiment because it, again, it's like still in the narrative towards lighter Asians, unless we market and say East Asians are going through this, right? If you want your needs met, we have to name it and the name things that communities are going through. And so we have to name East Asian, like me and Angela, when we have events, we name it anti-East Asian sentiment because 
we're gonna we're talking about people from East Asia, right? Because I want brown Asians to ha- keep their identities. I want black Asians to keep their identities, and I want them to be able to identify with Asian, but also identify with their black and brown identities. Right, like I want to be able to acknowledge someone's full identity and what they're going through if we're going to be working together, if we're going to be serving these communities. So I'm going to go abstract here, and I do have this question that's constantly in the back of my mind that's how much time should we spend on reparations, right? Like untangling that necklace that you're talking about versus solutions right now for today um i would say we need like we may we need as long as we may need right it took his 500 years to uh, like enslave black folks right it took like and i say 500 years because it took a lot of advocating to enslave black people like people were doing it but it wasn't as international right took about 400 years to make it international 100 years to advocate and show that black people are lower than subhumans so it took a little more more time to do that so i say 500 years of like basically oppression in that sense right it, it took so long to oppress folks that we can't put a label on time on like how to unoppress folks because we have to put in the time right like if you break your leg and you're just like yeah i'm just gonna walk on it it's like no you need that time to heal it right you can't just be like oh it's broke instantly so like i can still walk you know what i mean like you're still damaged right and so you need to give that your body the time to heal right and so you need to take your vitamins you need to go to the doctor and, and it's always all these things that we need to do so we need as long as it takes right it takes as long as it needs to heal and it's going to take us a long time to heal we're not going to heal fast because it took a long time to break us down so we need that time to heal and that means we need to unpack a lot of things and label things until we're able to unpack them can you tell us what you teach in your workshops and how we can become more vigilant and how we can start to do the work and continue to do the work that you're talking about in terms of healing and reparations. Yeah, definitely. So like what I always say, the foundation of racism is anti-blackness and xenophobia, right? So those are the two foundations of racism, right? And then like, of course, it's white supremacy, but white supremacy is uplifted by these two things. You need uh, anti-blackness for the capital, right? Because black people make money, right? Regardless of how much black people are oppressed in this country, we make money for white people. And that's historically a thing, right? Like our music, our talent, our, you know, our thoughts, our wisdom, whatever, it always makes money for white people, right? And then we have xenophobia, the constant othering of others, right? And so you have these two things that are working against, like, working for white supremacy, right? And as long as we have that, we cannot dismantle that. So when what I teach in my class is like, okay, how do we, it's specifically an anti-blackness class because anti-blackness is the strongest foundation of white supremacy, right? I try to have my students learn black history. And I think that's the most important way to do it because a lot of people don't know the things that black people went through and or the black, the things that black people are suffering from in this country, right? Not all black people are poor, but they still suffer from racism, right? So it's beyond the class thing too. So it's just like something that we, we try to teach people in general, specifically, I do the curriculum, but Angela assists me in some other ways, like adding in like a new perspective as a student. I try to have content where people are able to break down within themselves, their own internalized prejudices and anti-blackness because a lot of this stuff is learned. I will always tell my students, like I told them like yesterday, basically, because I had class, I told them, unpack everything, question 
everything, everything you learn, because everything we learn as just people of color in a majority white society, as in, in addition to a majority westernized world, is what white people value. So if they're valuing certain features, like why are we valuing these features? Yesterday, most of my class is like Asian. <laughs> so like, I was like, why are we buying these features? We're people of color, like, you know, why do we have to deal with featureism? Because like, um, basically the problem, the things that racists build on is featureism, skin color, and texturism. And these, and I don't know if too many people are familiar with that, but texturism is how your um, hair is, right? Is it curly? Is it straight? Featureism is like, do you have a big nose? Do you have slanted eyes? Do you have high cheekbones, right? Like what group would be categorizing that? So you may see like, for instance, like my mom's a light-skinned black woman. Her skin is light, but she has black features, right? So we can still identify her in that group as black. And then like, yeah, so in colorism is like how dark you are, how light you are. And then you'll be treated accordingly upon it and so when we talk about race and we talk about unpacking it this is why i try to get my students to understand these are all constructs that we should all question we should question the institution of religion in the sense of how it was used as a mechanism to spread white supremacy we should question the the unity of marriage in the sense of is it because are we marrying each other because we want to or are we marrying because it's an institution right and it's like not saying i believe in marriage because it's a contract with people and i would like a contract saying that you would stay with me like if you don't if you break the contract i can sue like so i think contractually yeah i want a contract but you know but like you know like why is it one man and one woman woman right and like why are we looking at these gender norms like white supremacy infiltrates a lot of the way we see the world right and how we treat other people when it comes to that and by breaking down white supremacy and breaking down anti-blackness we will see and begin to like understand what is really going on in this world and how we can truly address our own internalized like anti-blackness and also self-hate and also hate towards other people who from different countries and different spaces right because usually it's the othering of people of color who come from those spaces not the othering of white folks who come from those spaces yeah i think your workshop sounds amazing and is something that i probably need to take myself but yeah you're right question everything i think that that's a big takeaway i've learned so much from the both of you today and I wanna, I wanna take this back to why we even began this conversation, which was because of the anti-blackness sentiment in the Asian community, specifically right now, um, in, in light of the current events. Can you give me actionable steps, resources, things to think about for this topic and just for the listeners in terms of the anti-blackness in this community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that people should be involved and I think it's really important for people to be involved on the ground. I think a lot of people may learn um, social justice from Tumblr or from Twitter and there are like some really great activists um, teaching a lot but I think that it's so important to be doing work and having real relationships with people. This kind of connects to the question earlier, how do you talk to people? You know, it's really important to have that trust and to have that relationship in order to like change people's minds. and. Of course, one thing I think is really important is tackle your own anti-blackness. I think that like most everyone is anti-black. I'm definitely anti-black. I'll just say that so that people feel more comfortable. But everyone has anti-blackness and we just need to understand that so that we can begin to unpack it. So when we do this work in our community, we don't end up actually being mean to black people, you know, when we're doing this work, you know, or like only treating certain black people better than other people. So I think one is tackling anti-blackness, two is building those relationships on the ground and doing work in communities. And I think that like 
for uh, just to talk a little bit about what People Matter does. Something that we've tried to, we're trying to build these um, black and Chinese relations and relations between communities of color um, in different ways. So one of our programs is like a community language class. So that is for people in the community, like black and Chinese residents, as well as like non-black Latinx um, residents to really like bond and understand each other. Um, and in this program, like they teach each other the language. You know, some people, they don't have any exposure to black people. And that's just like one way that they get that exposure. And it's all online. So, you know, that's like one way that like, you know, people are building relationships and even like attending this class, understanding people's own like heritage speakers, connecting to their own culture can also really help them tackle anti-blackness if they want to talk to their parents about anti-blackness in their parents' language. Yeah, that's just like one of the one of the things that we do. My thing is always research. I tell everyone this. I was, I would say it takes a year to research things. <laughs> like to fully learn something, it takes a year. So I know like uh, I always enter, meet people and they're like, how do I like work on my own anti-blackness? You study anti-blackness for a year. <laughs> and it doesn't mean consistently you take a break. You got to take a break to digest it, right? After you eat, you have to digest, right? Things you don't understand, you come back to consistently. And it takes about a year to get it. And then even even more better if you have two years. It takes me a long time to research things. Because when I research stuff, I research it in depth. And I take breaks in between throughout that year to research it and be like, okay, I understand it now. Now I have more life experience. I understand this. So let me look into this. And you have to continuously do that journey of continuously taking that year out. And also even like your own internalized xenophobia is like researching it. Research the history of immigrants. Research the history of black folks. Like what did black people go through? You heard about slavery. What did they go through during slavery, right? You heard about the Great Depression. What did black folks go through during the Great Depression? What do, What is black people cultural food, right? How do black people comb their hair? Like it's just like different things that can just all manifest into like you understanding anti-blackness in a different way and understanding your own anti-blackness in a different way right it doesn't necessarily always have to be something that's like really like bad but you know like not something that's just necessarily like all always black oppression you can also look in like how do black people feel about how do black people express joy culturally right and just look into that and that's just that doesn't have to do it and that can also help you at, uh, attack your own anti-blackness as well so i would say spend a year researching and take breaks in between well, thank you so much for that. And finally, before I let y'all go, I do want to ask, you know, what are some key takeaways that you really want listeners to walk away from this podcast with? And yeah, just key takeaways. My takeaways are on research, <laughs> just in general. And then, because uh, I think so much understanding can come from like just researching and then really researching, you know. But I would say my main takeaways is basically the foundation for people. Most people should realize one question, everything to the foundation of racism is anti-blackness and xenophobia. And once you unpack that, you will be able to be free and liberated. But also I want people to take away that we're all have some type of racism inside of us and that it, racism is not an individual act. It's like it's a poison that we all have and it's a disease that we all have. And we have to basically take our medicine for it every day. Just to quote G2 Brown, which is a great activist. I would just say my takeaway is just to be really doing work on the ground. Definitely do a lot of research, but you have to do it in tandem with actually doing work, building relationships um, with black folks, with people who you are claiming to support on you know like social media 
you know, um, I think some just being a black person in majority like Asian American spaces and East Asian American spaces specifically, I think that I have experienced so much racism for people who say they're fighting for people who look like me, where I'm like, that's racist. There's like, no, I'm not racist. And they think of their parents and like, they're racist. I'm not. And so like, when I say it's super important to really understand um, that everyone's racist and to that, that it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person, but it makes you responsible for unlearning it. I think that that's something that I would like to push the most because I think that I have been so much, even I've been in Chinatown since I was like a teenager, right? And and how that being the only black person amongst a bunch of Chinese kids and how the adults treated me to like how my peers treated me, right? And, and it wasn't like necessarily always bad, but I think that like a lot of people would still come out and be like, I'm not racist. I'm not anti-black. Right. And, and, and I think that the, it's super important for people to really realize that if you're advocating for someone and you're an ally, you have to understand people's experiences. Right. And I feel like in general, like since I feel like I'm an ally to the East Asian American community, as well as the Asian American community in, as a whole, I think that. Um, personally, I try to learn East Asian American history as well as, uh, Asian, Asian history in general from all places around Asia. Right. Because I think it's super important. Like I can't advocate for you and not know your history. I can't say things. I can't, if I'm not listening to Asian Americans speak about issues that they care about, I can't be And when I'm talking to my family, which is majority black, talking to them about like, this is what this model minority myth is a problem because of X, Y, Z. I can't explain that if I'm not listening to the voices who I'm trying to protect. Right. And so I think that it's super important as allies to understand each other's history. And that's all I have to say. Thank you for that. And I think um, both of you had made it so easy and digestible for me to even recognize my own anti-blackness and to finally work on it. I have learned so much from speaking to both of you for the past hour and well, I mean, because really, you're a teacher and Angela, you're a community organizer. So I have learned so much from the both of you and I can't thank you enough. Thank you. We had a lot of fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. For more information, head to our website at whatgivesproject.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.